If you can't or don't want to leave your home, New York City is the place to be. You can get almost anything delivered to your front door, from laundry to DVDs. Good morning. I'm George Borarki, and this is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. On this morning's show, we'll take a closer look at some of the services that come to you. Some that have been around for generations, like the Seltzer Delivery Man, and others that are a sign of the times. I fix iPods um, anywhere in the city, iPods, laptops, PDAs, cell phones. We're making house calls this morning on Cityscape. I'm glad you're with us. Milkman, keep those bottles quiet. Can't use that jive on my milk diet. So, Milkman, keep those bottles quiet. You'd be hard-pressed to find anyone who still delivers fresh milk to homes around New York City. But if you're looking for someone to pop over with some soda water, well, Walter Backerman is your man. He's been delivering seltzer around town his whole life. We recently tagged along with Walter as he made his rounds. Hello? It's Walter the Seltzer Man. Who's this? Oh, how you doing? Okay. I don't know. You need seltzer today. My name is Walter Backerman, but for most people, I'm really Walter the Seltzer Man. I was actually born being a Seltzer Man, so for me, it wasn't like starting it. It was like it was just a, it was evolution. Like some kids grow up with milk, I grew up with seltzer bottles around my house. You know, my my father was a Seltzer Man when I was born in 1952, and so you know I was very familiar with seltzer. It was all around me, and my grandfather was a Seltzer Man in 1919. So uh, you know the route has been like. Throughout the history of my family, it's been a very much part of my family. The art of making seltzer is unlike what people would think. It isn't that simple because most of my bottles on my route are every bit of uh, my age and older. You know, the average bottle, if you picked out of the case, would be from the 1950s, 1940s, 1930s. I have bottles that are older. I have bottles that probably were very much in use when my grandfather had, had his horse and wagon back right after World War I. Now, the art of, of, of actually doing seltzer or keeping seltzer going is maintaining the bottles. In other words, they need to be repaired all the time. They need to be preserved. The most uh, important factor involved in it is that they get used, an average seltzer bottle probably was used a thousand times during the course of its lifetime. If to, for some one bottle to be used a thousand times, it's almost heroic, you know, in, in, its, in the fact that it's really helped preserve civilization and made people happy. See how everyone's double parks in Manhattan. That's like one of the, uh, people don't realize how crazy it is when you got a truck and trying to get down these tight little streets. The truck we're in right now, uh, I love. I mean, I personally love the truck. The truck's from 1984, probably has a half a million miles. And it, the gamut of the people on my route runs from all the way from people who can barely pay the bills to people who are multimillionaires, who are famous, who are movie stars. The next stop I have to do on the route is uh, it's actually a very good friend of mine. I'm about to deliver him now because he ran out of seltzer. And since I'm in the area, I don't want him to have to wait till Saturday when, when he, he loves seltzer. So I'm going to go up to him right now. So why don't you come with me? Hey, Frank. Good to see you. Good to see you. I apologize for my clammy hands. It's oh, yeah. nasty out there. My name is Frank Roosevelt. Uh, my 
name at birth was Franklin D. Roosevelt III, and I am a grandson of the great 32nd president of the United States. Walter and I have a great, good, friendly relationship. He brings me this seltzer every couple of weeks, and I drink it like it's going out of style. Hopefully it isn't. <laughs> it tastes better. You know, your Canada dry seltzer, it doesn't taste you might as well be drinking New York City tap water, which is not bad. No. But Walter's seltzer, that's in a different category. That's just, uh, it's so much more tasty and uh, fun to drink. I have a glass of it next to me all day when I'm working here, and I just take a sip, and before I know the glass is empty, and I go fill it again, um, and I go through what? Ten bottles yeah, every every weeks. two weeks. Well, Five bottles a week. It's a good customer. And what's the what's in a bottle? How much? Oh, I don't know about twenty six, twenty eight ounces. Twenty six ounces. So I'm that's I'm drinking it's a good shape though. Probably. Right? It's a great. Shape. The right amount of water. Yeah. People will spend the last penny to get sales when they like it. I mean, because it's something that they get. It's not. I guess you could call it an addiction. It's something that makes them happy. Walter Backerman's a seltzer delivery man in New York City. Seltzer is far from the only thing you can have delivered to your home or office in New York City. If you fancy, you can even order in religious studies. Rabbi Stuart Schiff works for the nonprofit Jewish education organization Aish Hatora. He's one of several rabbis who will bring their lesson plans to you. Rabbi Stuart Schiff, welcome to Cityscape. Thank you for having me. You're a rabbi who makes house calls, huh? House calls, office calls whatever kind of calls you want to call it. (laughs) So tell me about your line of work. Essentially, um, we run a program called the Executive Learning Program, and we afford the opportunity for busy Jewish business executives to take some time out for some spiritual learning, the desire to uh, enhance oneself and to, uh, to learn more about who they are, essentially, and their identity as Jews. You're with an organization that does this not only in New York, but other cities, right? Right. The organization is called Aish HaTorah. Um, we operate out of the Aish Center here on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. We're an international organization with programs in over 70 cities, and uh, essentially the program runs in most of those cities. How did you determine there was a need for this kind of program? The need really um, shows itself. People have a desire to learn. People have a desire to grow. And essentially, we're just filling a gap. People feel as though they are missing something. They need to learn more. And we're here to service that need. Who are your clients primarily? Our client base is primarily uh, Jewish business executives. And while we do meet many of them, some of them with their, uh, you know, as couples with their spouse uh, at their homes, we generally meet them at their office. And how does that go when you show up at the office? What do you do? Turn off the phone? Usually not. Uh, The phone is usually on. The phone is usually ringing. Um, There are oftentimes interruptions. But we, uh, we go with the flow, and we usually spend an hour with each other discussing contemporary topics, important ideas, philosophy, what have you. Are you finding that more and more business executives are turning to you to reconnect with religion because of the uncertain financial times that we're living in these days? There is sort of a trend that way. I'm not sure that we're seeing it in such a marked way. I don't know if it would be 
nice per se, because people are, uh, some people are really suffering. But we're here for that, obviously. And we, even though I don't think we've seen an, an actual upturn in that way, I think it's out there. I think people are really curious. They want to know. And I think this gives them a certain solace in uh, in connecting with something that they know is real. Life can get hectic, as we all know. Things come up, of course, every day. That being said, are people good about sticking to their appointments? People do tend to keep their appointments. We find that when we've developed in a relationship with these executives, it's a treasured moment in their day when they get the chance to take a break and to connect with something deeper. How do you go about planning your lessons? It's an individual study. So we we work with each individual on what it is they'd like to uh, to study or talk about. Sometimes it's current events. Sometimes it's Torah. Uh, sometimes it's Kabbalah. Some whatever whatever it is that people would like to learn. Sometimes it's Hebrew reading. Um, we're there for them on whatever level. Are these people who grew up in Jewish families, or are some of these people people who are just interested in learning Judaism? Generally speaking, they are born Jewish people. There are some people whose spouses aren't Jewish who do take part in the uh, in the study session, and they learn a lot also. It enriches everyone's life. Are these people who take time out to go to synagogue, or are they just relying on you for their dose of Judaism? There's both. I would venture to say that the majority of our clientele doesn't go to synagogue on a regular basis. And Aish is is really of the philosophy that it's Jewish learning that bridges the gap. We're obviously not against any sort of religious observance or synagogue going, but our... Our main focus is on learning and on developing oneself. I understand that more men than women rely on your services. Why is that? It's very possible. It's because our our main client base is uh, in the executive world, and there are less women in that in those roles. Um, that's a different topic, obviously. We have tried to reach out, obviously, to women. We'd like to have more women involved in our program. I think it would be wonderful. Oftentimes, we find that because we meet with these executives. Often after hours, we find that women who have families just want to get home. So that might be a reason to. Is it costly to have religious studies come to you? We actually don't charge for our services. It's actually um, part of Jewish religious law to not charge for, for Torah study. But the majority of the people that we study with are partners with us and support us in our mission uh, which is essentially to create a renaissance of Jewish pride in the New York City area. But that being said, then, you wouldn't turn someone away who didn't have the means to support the organization? We'd never turn someone away. We would uh, we'd try to work with them to find a learning program that would be best for them. So tell me about your typical day. My first appointments usually start around 7.30, in the morning. For those in, in the financial world, they, they'd like to study before the opening bell. Uh, so we do that, and oftentimes my last appointment can end at ten fifteen at night. For families that I study with in their apartments, for couples who want to study after their children go to sleep, so uh, from eight a.m. until ten p.m. I'm uh, I'm out and about riding that train, uh, going from office to office, and then to, from home to home, studying with people. I would imagine that's not a typical rabbi schedule. It's not typical, but it's uh, you know it gets me out. <laughs> And it's fun, and I meet and uh, and I deal with and I study with really and truly amazing, wonderful people. Rabbi Schiff, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you so much for having me.
Rabbi Schiff is with the nonprofit Jewish education organization Aish Hatora. If you'd like to order in their services, visit aish.com. That's A I S H.com. You're tuned to Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. Good morning once again. I'm George Boldarki. On this morning's show, we're spotlighting some of the services that come to you in and around New York City. In this next segment, we meet a doctor who makes house calls, but not a doctor in the traditional sense of the word. We'll let him explain for himself. Hi, my name is Demetrius Leontaris. I fix iPods um, anywhere in the city, iPods, laptops, PDAs, cell phones. Basically, I make appointments all over the city and customers' houses and fix their electronics. I bought a broken iPod. I sent it into Apple to see if they could fix the screen. It was a broken screen on, a, I think it was a fourth-generation iPod. And they said it was going to be 250 to replace the screen. And at that price, I, I decided to buy another one and, and see about making a Frankenstein iPod. Once I had that one done, I had leftover parts, so I bought another one, put the parts together and resold it. And I just started buying up people's broken iPods that Apple couldn't fix and reselling them. But more and more, the people that I was buying them from actually wanted to have them repaired. I've been basically fixing my own stuff all my life, so basically that's that's my background. DVDs, VCRs, computers, everything. Most often we do office visits. Probably about 80 to 90 percent of people in Manhattan are nine to fivers. And so we pull up to your office, you come down with your equipment, and we fix it, and then you go back to work. Occasionally we do do house calls. Typical day, I get up, I check my emails, follow up on my appointments, hop in my car and get out to the city, and I, I start uh, making my visits, making my rounds. So right now we're on our way to um, Osh Mario, and he has an iPod video with a broken screen. Hello, how can I help you? I'm on my way up to you, sir. I'm on um, 2nd Avenue heading up. Or 3rd Avenue heading up. Alright, I'll I'll call you as soon as I get down in front. Hi, Oshmario. How are you? Um, uh, It's Dimitri. I'm here. I'm um, in front of Essex House. Are you by the 1st Avenue or 2nd Avenue corner? Oh, there you are. I see you. That's you with the green green sweater? Okay. How you doing today? I'm doing fine. Just waiting for you because I got a very busy day today. My daughter dropped my iPod and it broke the screen. So I have to replace that. I found him on the internet. So it's very easy to find him. I called him yesterday and we scheduled for today. First, we're, um, we're opening the case. Uh, we have special tools for that, opening tools. We'll be taking about, out about six screws around the uh, circumference of it and uh, replacing the screen. I just arrived from Brazil yesterday. I brought this iPod from Brazil because now there is no way to fix it. I tried several places and they say, no, we, can, we don't have the tools and we don't have the, the LCD. You have to cost uh, Apple and it will be real, real expensive. Uh, we've removed the old screen and now we're installing the new one. Plug it in just to make sure that 
everything's working. Just putting it all back together. Perfect. It's amaze. I think she's she gonna be happy now. <laughs> uh, I gotta buy her a case, you know, because maybe yeah. if she had a case on, case would help a little bit when she dropped. So, I'm so happy, yeah. Thank you. Thanks so much. 80% of the iPod repairs we can do on the spot, and then occasionally they have to be taken to the shop, but then it's uh, 24 hours, and then we have it back to the customer. Sometimes it's not worth fixing, so we do offer customers a price for their iPod because we can always use the spare parts. Business is good, actually, since the economy's been slowing, more and more people have been coming to us for repairs. Actually, we've been getting a lot more hopeless repairs. I saw an iPhone 3G recently that, uh, let's see, um, guy and his girlfriend got into a fight. She threw it at him, then he stepped on it, and then she kicked it. And that was hopeless. There was no repairing that one. I tried. <laughs> Just uh, it wasn't happening. Demetrius Lanteris is known as the iPod Doctor. If you require his services, he's at nycipoddoctor.com. The iPod Doctor might be getting a lot of requests for house calls, but a doctor doctor in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, is seeing less of a demand for those services. Still, Dr. Jay Parkinson has a unique practice that spares his patients from unnecessary office visits. Dr. Parkinson, thanks for taking the time to talk with us. Sure, no problem. On your website, you describe yourself as a new kind of physician. What does that mean exactly? Well, basically that means that I use technology to communicate with my uh, my patients. I use anything. I am email, text messaging, video chatting to um, deliver uh, the best care I can. You also conduct house calls, right? Yes, we give that option to people. But uh, interestingly enough, not many people choose that option. Hmm. Why is that, do you think? Well, I think New York is somewhat of an interesting um, place. I think a lot of the, uh, my demographic are younger people, and they often live with other roommates, and there's not a lot of privacy even within your own home, and I think that's, that's um, one of the major issues. That's actually very interesting, because I thought a house call would be wildly popular, because who wants to spend time at a doctor's office? <laughs> well, you know, what's funny about that is creating a business that forces people to change their behavior for your business probably isn't the best solution, and people are so used to uh, just simply going to the doctor's office I think nowadays house calls are just such a weird thing that people actually prefer to come to your office. Let me ask you then, how many people do you see in their homes on average or in their offices for that matter? Well, you know, I first started out my practice as a strictly house call. I didn't even have an office, so I would go see you. Since doing that, uh, I've opened up an office, and since opening up the office uh, about two and a half months ago, we've had one. Only one house call? Given the option people are uh, choosing uh, the office visit. So how does the rest of your practice work as far as the use of the Internet? Basically, um, I'm in charge of a uh, team of developers, and uh, we're developing a, an application that's somewhat similar to Zipcar, actually, where you go online and reserve a doctor. And after you do that, uh, you sort of add them to your team of people that take care of you. And after um, you see the doctor, you can communicate with them uh, via email, IM, text messaging, or video chatting. 
That's how I use technology. I mean, it's all on HelloHealth.com. The name of the program is Hello Health. Yes, that's the name of the um, the application. That's you know, if you compare it to Zipcar.com, that's exactly what it would be like. So, how accessible then are you via the internet for your patients? Right now, there are four doctors, and um, we have twenty four seven call via the internet. So, if you're feeling sick, you can email your doctor right away and get a response pretty quickly? Definitely, because whenever we're on call, we get an email um, coming into our system. It rings our telephone to notify us. So then what do you then do? Do you IM with your patient, asking them what the symptoms are? Sometimes we'd IM. Sometimes if it's not an emergent thing, we'd just send an email. Um, Sometimes we'd call. Sometimes we'd say, hey, let's video chat. And your patients can also send pictures, right? If they cut themselves, they can send a picture of their wound, and you can tell them whether they may need to go to the doctor for a stitch or to the hospital for a stitch or whether they can just go to the pharmacy and get a bandage? Of course, definitely. I basically look at the um, the office visit as a 3,000-year-old tool that doctors continue to use. But interestingly enough, if you look at, this, um, if, at, this, at the data and the research, it shows that 50% of all office visits are not necessary with good communication. But that's the only way doctors get paid. How are you able to make a living through this kind of practice? The practice is a membership practice. It's $35 a month. Plus, on top of that, we, uh, we you know, charge anywhere from 100 to $200 per visit. Uh, the secret being, you know, we've used the Internet to just uh, eliminate all the unnecessary staff in an office. So our overhead is extremely minimal. You mentioned, Doctor, that most of your patients are younger people. Is that by design or is that by coincidence? Um, it's by coincidence, but we're seeing a uh, trend in our practice toward older patients. Our oldest one is 88 years old. Hmm. But her son in San Diego coordinates her care for her through the Internet from San Diego. Are all of the health records online and accessible? Can the patients just go online at any time and see what you've written about them? Of course. What about security issues? Well, security issues, we have a, um, I mean, our team specializes in healthcare care um, security and healthcare care um, applications on the Internet. So HIPAA is uh, we're about probably 150% HIPAA compliant. (laughs) Um, It's very similar to developing a banking application. We face the same security issues as a bank um, and that we've solved just like, you know, a bank and in accordance with the the federal regulations. But a lot of people when talk about security, they sort of mix it up with privacy and what that means. What's interesting about uh, the Internet is that most people are more worried about control than they are secrecy. So um, if they know that their medical information is in my hands as a physician and uh, one other place on a server, um, you know, somewhere in the United States, they know that I'm the only one that has access to that that information. Uh, People get comfortable with that, especially because it's their doctor having that access. It's not Google or Microsoft. Does your practice accept medical insurance? Um, No, we we don't take any insurance at all. That's um, part of the problem with the medical system right now. It's that most doctors simply don't have the resources to go back and forth with insurance companies trying to get paid. So our philosophy is that if we charge a low enough price, people will uh, simply pay cash for or credit card um, for our services. Can people run their services through their insurance companies? If people have insurance, we will give you the necessary forms that you can then submit. Most of the time you'll get, if you can see out-of-network doctors, you'll get 100% of that because our fees are so low, we don't try to price gouge you, basically. Dr. Jay Parkinson, thanks so much for your time. Mm, Thank you.
Dr. Jay Parkinson practices medicine in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and online at jparkinsonmd.com. This is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. As we wrap up our show on house calls this morning, we meet a doctor who frequently crisscrosses Manhattan to help pets feeling under the weather. Veterinarian Cindy Bressler also makes house calls in the Hamptons. I spoke with her after a very busy night on the job. We were very busy all over Manhattan. We had cases from Wall Street downtown all the way uptown to 190th Street, east, west, all over the place. Very busy. What kinds of cases were you dealing with last night? Well, we started with just a cat who had an upper respiratory infection, something minor, something common that we see all the time on the east side. And then we went down to a client of mine uh, down on Broad Street. And when we got there, the cat was having a lot of trouble breathing. So we rushed him up to a hospital on the west side that I work with. And after that, we had to run up to... 190th Street to see an American curl cat, actually two of them that live together, for also having trouble breathing. These sound like emergency calls. Do you also do routine house calls for pets? We do. We After that, we had to just go over and vaccinate a cat who's on the east side, the upper east side, and then we, someone called me that they just noticed a lump on their dog after they came home from dinner. So it was probably about 11 o'clock. But we said we would we would come over, so that was on the Upper West Side. How much are you able to do in the home? Well, we actually do a lot at home. Regular preventative work, vaccinations, checkups. We do blood tests, certain minor procedures. We we also offer something that a lot of that nobody else offers, which is in-home hospitalization and private, you know, like twenty-four hour nursing for pets if it's appropriate for the animal. If it's not appropriate for the animal, if they need, if they're very critical and they need something more then we will send them to an ICU unit. Although there have been some cases where we've constructed a hospital or an ICU critical care unit within a client's home. How big of a demand is there for in-home pet care? Actually, surprisingly, there's a very big demand. People do not want to go to the hospital. They don't want to have to wait in the waiting rooms or be standing in the back where it's a very busy... An animal hospital is a very busy place because there's always something going on. There are surgeries, there are procedures... There are emergencies being rushed in and out, and people just want you. They want you to be there just for them. They want their pet to be the number one priority, and we're able in this kind of business to offer that. Some people can't go to the hospital if they're elderly, if they're disabled, if they have young kids and they're very busy with the children, or their lifestyles are very busy, or if they travel. A lot of times we work with the housekeepers or the nannies. I would imagine it's especially difficult if you have a large dog that's sick to get them to the doctor's office. Right. Actually, it's very hard and very frustrating sometimes because the taxi cabs will pass you by. There are a number of pet services that have come up over the last probably 10 years, you know, pet ambulances or taxis that will help take them, but sometimes they're expensive or it's hard to get them. It's hard to get them in the middle of the night or, you know, it's just difficult. And also to take the dog downstairs from an apartment or people that live in a walk-up, it's really, really hard. We did, we saw a couple of years ago, we had to, we saw a woman who, an elderly woman who was about, I think she was about 85 years old and she lived in like a six-floor walk-up. We went over to try to help her because she hadn't left her apartment in about 15 years. We couldn't believe it. Whenever we went over to see the cat, we tried to bring her groceries or she had caretakers, but it's just amazing. You never know what's going on. There's so many things in so many situations in New York. You can walk down the block and there are so many stories behind the windows, you know? Is it any more expensive to have this kind of care for your pet in your home than it would be to take your pet to the office? It is more expensive for us to come over because we are coming to you. So 
we try to, if, if you went to the animal hospital, you would pay the fee for a cab or for a car service to get you there. So that kind of equals out for the house call fee. The other fees, the blood tests and the regular tests that we run and the minor procedures are very similar to the animal hospitals. The only thing that's more is if you have a pet who has 24-hour hospitalization at home, the nurses who are there around the clock, that you, we charge a lot for that because it is, you know, they're, they're living in your house. Do you get a sense, doctor, that animals are more at ease being treated in their homes than at the doctor's office? Absolutely. They're on, you know, comfortable, be- they're on comfortable beds in their own homes around their family with the same smells and the same things that they recognize. And people coming in and out, the normal traffic in the home is the same. You can, people sleep next to them in the bed or they are walking in and out of the apartment, like, you know, they're going in and out of the space that they're just used to, and they're just, they're not nervous. They can sleep a little bit better. We all know that if if anyone's ever been in the hospital, you don't sleep at night. You're woken up constantly to be checked on, but you you can't sleep because you're not home. And here, we try to offer this so the animals can rest better and, you know, try to get better while they're sick and heal properly in their house. They're not as nervous. We become part of the family. What would you say was the single most challenging house call that you had to deal with? You know, it's always hard when an animal's very sick and you just you just try to help them. And there are so many cases where sometimes you just know that you can't if they're older, if they're very sick. Mm-hmm. I hate to ask you this know? question, doctor, but do you euthanize in the home? Yes, actually, that's a very common request that we get. And it is much nicer to do at home because... They're, you're not bringing, you, you, often when you bring your animal to the hospital, they're nervous and they know something's going on. And when they're sick and we just come over and it's, it's, much, it's a much nicer way to do it at home with the family around. I would hope that for as many examples that you have for that scenario, that you have many, many more where the dogs and cats, other animals, went on to live very happy and healthy lives. Absolutely, we do. And it's very rewarding. And it's just great to just be part of the family. House Call veterinarian, Dr. Cindy Bressler. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Bodarkey. If you have an idea for a Cityscape, email me at gbodarkey at wfuv.org. That's B-O-D-A-R-K-Y, in case you didn't know. My thanks to producers McCall Neria and Anne-Marie Fertoli. Have a great weekend.